Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation. Welcome to the Arkansas AgCast for April 15th. I'm your host, Rob Anderson. On this week's edition, we get the latest on cotton planting in Arkansas, learn about the important connection between waterfowl and rice farming, and hear the latest on what's being done to fight the feral hog problem in the state. We also get an update on what's happening at the state legislature. First, Ashley Wallace talks to Josh Hankins, Director of Grower Relations and Rice Stewardship Partnership with USA Rice. Hankins was in town for a press conference at the state capitol this week that celebrated the important connection between rice growing and waterfowl habitat. So today we're at the capitol for the resolution supporting waterfowl and rice. Tell me about the importance of that and why we're celebrating those things. Great question. Uh, this was a great event today. So, you know, there, there's such a symbiotic relationship between uh, rice and ducks in this state that a lot of, a lot of folks uh, don't know about. And so today what we did is we celebrated um, our, our very valuable duck habitat, our duck hunting opportunities, and that relationship between rice and ducks today that all works together and so important uh, for that habitat creation in East Arkansas and for those economies in East Arkansas. I know the governor mentioned that Arkansas is a duck, duck hunting capital of the world in his remarks in there, so it's really important for our farmers and our hunters to kind of work together on the resources and the conservation aspect of everything. Not only for the economics, but again for that valuable habitat. Uh, you know, these rice fields, they give those migratory birds one-third of their calories as they travel south uh, through these very important flyway systems. And Arkansas is right smack dab in the middle of that, and of course we're the nation's biggest uh, rice grower in the country where we we produce approximately 50% of the nation's rice. Uh, you know our rice fields act as surrogate wetlands so not only does it give them um, you know those nutrients that they need as they travel but it also gives them valuable habitat places to rest places to sleep overnight uh, and then as they make their way down south so uh, and also you know it brings um, and helps educate those that don't know much about agriculture. Uh, there's a very, there's a growing divide between our urban communities and our agricultural communities. Uh, what this resolution helps do is, is bring to the forefront how important uh, agriculture is for hunting. So hunting will bring a lot of your urban folks out to East Arkansas where they get to see a rice field for the first time maybe. Yeah, though it might be in the winter, if they don't understand that, that shallow depth of flood, what that water does, how important that is to these migratory birds, but it helps narrow that divide. So I think today, uh, I think that was the biggest advantage of, of today's event is help telling that story and maybe some new folks will understand and, uh, <clears throat> and understand uh, the importance of, of rice country and, and uh, what it does for our migratory bird habitat. It was great that the Game and Fish was here as well. Game and Fish and Game and Fish Foundation, you know, they're not directly involved in ag, but they're also here with us today celebrating and also promoting the importance of these rice fields and the, the importance of the farmers and the birds and the agriculture aspect. I think USA Rice is different from uh, many of your trade organizations in that um, back in 2013, we were one of the first, the first, to form a a working partnership with the conservation organization, Ducks Unlimited. Um, since that time, uh, we have brought millions of dollars of, of additional conservation dollars 
to rice farmers for the creation of habitat and other and other conservation programs such as uh, water saving irrigation practices but you speak of the game and fish it's uh, it's so important that we all work together um, our our um, our farmland our farmers our um, <clears throat> Land retirement programs work in conjunction with some of our working land programs. Cayman Fish has been a great partner uh, with, with us from the very beginning in help, helping tell that story and protect these extremely important hunting grounds for our state. Do you have any other messages for our listeners today? Um, I, you know, Being from Farm Bureau, I, speaking of our rice stewardship partnership, I would like to thank them. They have been an integral partner of ours from the very beginning in growing our rice stewardship partnership. Um, uh, what sets us aside from other uh, conservation initiatives is, uh, is our ground roots. You know, we, we have good, trusting relationships with our farmers up and down the Mid-South. Farm Bureau has really helped strengthen that. Uh, and help get the word out for some of our uh, conservation programs that are available that save a lot of this important habitat. Next, Keith Sutton catches up with Bill Robertson, cotton extension agronomist with the University of Arkansas Division of Agriculture, for a discussion about cotton planting and acreage in 2020 and this year. Welcome to AgCast. I'm Keith Sutton with Arkansas Farm Bureau. Today, my guest is cotton agronomist Bill Robertson, who works for the University of Arkansas Division of Agriculture Cooperative Extension Service. Bill, welcome back to AgCast. Uh, thanks, Keith. You know, I always, always enjoy talking to you on, on these things and, and, you know, looking at cotton. And you know me, I can't, I, you know, I always like to look back to see where we've been and kind of tell how it's going forward. But, you know, if we look back at the, the last five years before 2020, you know, Arkansas had seen kind of a steady increase in cotton acres. You know, 2015 was our all-time low of 210,000 acres and that planted and all the way up to 610,000 acres in, in 2019. And we all know what happened in 2020. 2020 has been uh, kind of one of those years, but the, 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 the pandemic came in and it just really devastated the, the, the cotton market. Uh, mills shut down. Uh, demand for cotton went down. Prices were going down during during planting, and so uh, our intentions were to plant less cotton acres last year in 2020. But with prices dropping and all that, we we even planted less than, than what our intentions were. We ended up uh, uh, for 2020, we planted uh, 525,000 acres of cotton. We harvested 520,000. Uh, you know, things. You know, we've kind of worked through this, demand for cotton's improved. And so we've seen some improvements in cotton, but, you know, we've also seen it in, in beans and stuff too. But, you know, Keith, when, when we were rolling into to, to, to December and November and December, thinking about what we're going to do for the next year, cotton prices, you know, hadn't seen the increase. And, and uh, you know, the seed that the seed price that the gins get for seed just wasn't wasn't so hot. So the gins are pretty open as to what was going on. Then then we've seen this big increase and in, you know, cotton prices went up, bean prices went up, corn prices went up. And you know, cotton seed follows soybean prices. Oh really? So we got yeah. They they follow it really good. Okay. And so we got you know, we got cotton seed there from the gin that's bringing a hundred dollars a ton more than it was last year. You know, a lot wow. of places I they were getting one hundred fifty dollars a ton, 
They said, oh, it's $100 a ton better than that. And so now then the GNs are telling their their, their growers to, to plant cotton. Wow, that's good news. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, a big, that's a big revenue stream for the GN on, on the income on the seed. And then, and then that good price on the seed means a good rebate to the producer. Right. And so that's part of their revenue stream. So that makes cotton look a lot better. And uh, so, you know, like early, you know, end of last year, first part of this year, a lot of growers I've been with felt like, you know, we were going to be down, you know, 15% on, on the acres. And then all this, and then things turned for the better. And now then, uh, you know, the farmers I've been with now kind of in line with the last USDA and, and falls in line with the, the National Cotton Council survey they had back earlier this year, uh, seeing about a, a 7% decrease in planted acres for this year compared to next uh compared to last year. Okay, so, so a little bit so, down. Yeah, a little bit down. So basically the USDA number has us at 490,000 is our is our planning intentions for 2021. But you know, look at the weather we've had. Yes. It's been crazy, hasn't it? It's been crazy. It's, you know, usually, yeah, usually we get some dry weather, you know, the end of February or so we can get some farming done, uh, moose and dirt. Uh, it's just been wet, wet, wet. Uh, you know, we like to do our burn downs by ground because it's, it, you know, because we can get up next to the trees. We, you know, get get everywhere we need to get with a ground rig so much better than we can with an airplane. But we've had a lot of burn downs having to go out with an airplane. <coughs> we've had, you know, a lot of air burn downs go out with an airplane. And so sometimes that makes our coverage uh, uh, a little tough and, and it's hard to keep product where we want it. Um, but things are coming along that, you know, we've had some windows to plant corn and now we're out of the field again. I don't know how much it seemed like the last I remember, Keith, uh, seemed like I saw that our cotton, acres, I mean, our corn acres in Arkansas were going to be up what 15%. Yes. It looked like a pretty good I job. I don't know if this weather's going to let us do that. Right. <clears throat> so the bottom line is when the dust settles, we may, we may be pretty flat on cotton acres from last year. And, uh, you know, last year we, we harvested 520,000. I am starting to see uh, some of our cotton producers out there working their fields and starting to plant. It's uh, it's at that time, but this weather is on again, off again, whether it's wet or dry. And so it's, it's real iffy. Some of them are trying to get started, but it seems like particularly in the Delta, they're getting a, a, a lot of rain that's holding them up. Yeah. You know, people I visit, and I'm sure there's been some cotton going to ground, you know, southeast Arkansas, generally, you know, it's it's not unusual to have a little bit of March planted cotton, just a few fields here and there. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we didn't have some cotton in. I don't know of any personally, uh, but people, you know, that I know of are working on their beans and their corn. Uh, but, but, you know, typically, Keith, you know, my green light really, really starts shining pretty bright when I get to April the 20th. And it's dry, and I get a planter in the field because I've seen I've seen planters running all the way from the south Arkansas to the northeast corner of Arkansas on, on April the twentieth when the conditions are right. So and, that's uh, coming you know, right up. That's next week, right? Yeah, it, it's right around the corner. But you know, the weatherman uh, is talking about some weather coming up that that we're going to have some high temperatures, like in the low sixties and some forty degree nights. So it's going to be a little bit cool. But I kind of have a feeling once we kind of get this next little cold spell behind us, 
it's going to be pretty good because you know you look at the pecan trees and some of the other signals that we can sometimes use to plant cotton and and they're telling us it's time right and so it's just it's just right around the corner i think we'll we'll see planters rolling a pretty pretty widespread well as always we appreciate you getting us up to date on where things are and what to expect uh it's uh, good since we hadn't had a chance to talk <clears throat> that we could take a look back at, at the last few years yeah. to see uh, and compare uh, this year to those years. Uh, but we'll uh, hopefully be able to talk again before long and see uh, exactly where are we. And, you know, you know, it's not always, you know, a lot of times we want to plant early, but the last two years have been our number one and number two on yields. And, and we rolled into the middle of May on both of these years and was only half planted. So half of our cotton went in the last half of May. You know, last year we set all-time record yield, 1,200 pounds of lint per acre. And our quality was really good. That was one of the really bright spots is, you know, we had the highest percent tenderable cotton. That's cotton that's eligible for trade on cotton futures market. Uh, the highest percent of that than any other state that, that was in the, the cotton belt. So we had really good quality and a good crop but you know it seems like you know when prices are cheap well we could grow some good cotton <laughs> yeah cotton. exactly i'm kind of we get good prices. i think it's pretty tough i'm kind of so wondering bill uh, i wanted to ask you something about cotton gins we've we've seen a, a couple of uh, new gins open in recent years do you think we'll see any more of that happening uh we've got a new one up close to osceola and there's another one at griffithville uh, that seemed to be good when it happened, but uh, is the market going to be able to support the opening of any more? Well, you know, that's that's something that's yet to be seen. Uh, I really think, you know, the, I, I see kind of a potential for, for cotton to, to, to look good. And, you know, it's, 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 got, well, it's just the way agriculture works, you know, uh, we do good at the expense of somebody else, but you know, for everything I'm hearing from Brazil, you know, they do they do a couple of crop seasons, and you know, they're they're getting ready to plant their cotton or want to plant their cotton, but they saw soybeans in the field and it's wet, they can't get their soybeans out, right. and so they don't know how much cotton they're going to get planted, and so that could really have a positive impact on our acres, depending on what happens uh, down there, and so we just just don't know. But you know our consumers are are really you know they're, they're 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 everybody's wanting to get out. They're tired of this pandemic. They're tired of wearing a yes. mask, and so people are shopping. And but they but our consumers still want sustainably produced fiber, and that's a big thing that we got to think about. Some of these programs like the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol, we got to look serious at getting signed up for that, so so that we can be in the marketplace with the cotton that our customers are wanting. But but I see there's real potential coming up, and some things we're going to have to do on our end to stay to stay uh, positioned where we want to be. But but you know I see potential for some good things coming down the road. That's good to know. Uh, we want to see some good things down the road. So oh, let's yeah. uh, let's plan to hitch up again sometime in the near future, and uh, we'll take a look at how planning went and where we go from there. It sounds like a winner, man. All right, Bill. We always appreciate your your taking time to share your expertise with uh, our listeners, and we'll look forward to talking to you again very soon. Thanks, sir. 
Becky McPeak is a professor of wildlife extension for the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture who works closely with the state feral hog eradication task force. She spoke to Ken Moore about how the task force is working with property owners to deal with these nuisance pests, which are an expensive and persistent problem for Arkansas farmers and ranchers. Welcome to AgCast. I'm Ken Moore, and this week I have the pleasure of speaking with Becky McPeak, Becky is a professor of wildlife extension for the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture. Becky, welcome to Arkansas AgCast. Well, thank you so much, Ken. I appreciate being on your AgCast today. That's great. Becky, we're going to talk again and update our listeners about the latest efforts here in 2021. We really haven't updated this topic uh, in several months. Uh, It's not a new topic. It's about feral hog eradication and control. Uh, this is a problem for landowners. You don't have to be a farmer or rancher to have to deal with the property damage that these wild hogs are doing all across the state of Arkansas. Uh, but I know you work closely with the feral hog eradication task force. And, uh, I believe you just recently had another meeting of the task force. Uh, what's the latest you can bring to our listeners about how, you know, people can, can control and, and we can deal with this problem. Well, I tell you, uh, Ken, we have some great news to report. Our task force has been uh, successful at partnering together, and we've, we've got a plan in place where we can help landowners in several different ways. And, and one of them is that if you need your feral hogs removed, USDA APHIS Wildlife Services wants you to call them, and, and they'll schedule a technician to come out and look over your, your property and figure out a plan. And, you know, if you do have a huge feral hog problem, they, they'll probably bring out a trap and work with you. And so uh, if I could, I'd like to give out their phone number mm-hmm. so that Go everyone ahead. can write it down. It's 501-835-2318. 501-835-2318. And also, with being with the University of Arkansas uh, Division of Agriculture Cooperative Extension Service, we also continue to provide education to landowners. So if you want to learn how to uh, trap hogs or use some other removal methods on your property, contact our county extension offices because we have a number of trap systems that are available throughout the state, and we would like to demonstrate that to you and provide assistance if that's something that you want to do if you want to get rid of some hogs on your property. Um, so that's that's some of the, the highlights, I guess you would say. And, and there's uh, some more information, too, if you want me to discuss a little bit more about some of the, the trapping types of systems. Sure. Uh, like I say, okay. this is not a new topic. We've kind of helped uh, educate uh, uh, farmers and ranchers uh, that we work with mm-hmm. regularly about how they can obtain traps and, uh, right. you know, trap the sounders and, and all of that. But uh, for those who well, aren't familiar... Please explain yeah. the process. Well, you know, the, the, this type of system that we advocate at this point is what we call a cellular trap system uh, in which you have control over when you trigger that trap. And you can look on your phone and you can see what's in the trap. You can see if it's a deer or a raccoon. And then you uh, take your finger, click a button, and if, as long as we have good cell service and everything's going right, that, that trap detonates and you have your pigs are captured. Uh, what has come up on the task force is that they note that some people are still using traps that are box-style traps or traps that are fully enclosed, and we're concerned about problems with capturing some of those non-target species, whether they be deer or turkey or blackberries, and 
And so what we're encouraging now is for people, if you have those box-style traps, please take the top off or take at least half that top off of that system to allow escape for those kind of critters. And then there's a new trap uh, that's been kind of put on the market, um, and Game and & Fish is actually the, the lead, taking the lead on that in terms of testing it out in the field, and it's a, a net trap system. Uh, fairly unique in, in terms of the hogs that they push under the net with their noses, just as you, you see them doing rooting behavior and such. You know, they root under, if you will, that, that net to get to the feed, but the net is set up in such a way that they can't exit. They get tangled in the net. So there's a number of different kinds of new things that have come out uh, for farmers to consider. And again, I would uh, encourage you to call USDA Wildlife Services, call the Cooperative Extension Service, or any of the other partners that we have on our on our um, on our task force. Uh, Farm Bureau is a partner on that task force, so we have a number of people that are involved that you can call and ask for assistance. Now, for those who don't already have traps and and really have not experienced problems yet, or maybe they have but they haven't attempted to trap and eradicate the hogs, is this expensive to obtain these traps? The self-service traps are expensive, uh, and it depends, of course, on what kind of configuration you get. Uh, it's not only initial expense, which can be $8,000 or more, but there's also the, the continuing monthly service in which uh, oftentimes uh, they have a one-year service. It's not in, in some of these trap systems, you can just get it for one month and turn it on and off and on and off, but others, you have to you know, have a constant service, so that is a uh, and also there's the maintenance of these traps. So there's not only the upfront upfront cost, but there's also some of those other costs that sometimes we don't think about. And and that can be a burden for some people. And, of course, in some places where the feral hogs are, the self-service isn't available. And so we have a number of different types of triggering mechanisms that we might recommend. It is important to try to set those that the hogs are actually coming in the trap and you're not having something else prematurely set it. Maybe the, the little piglets get in there first and prematurely set it, and then you have uh, the, the, the sow and, and the other hogs that are, are outside the trap, and that ends up training them uh, to avoid the trap. So we have a number of strategies that we recommend that you use and that you follow. Uh, I like to use the term think like a pig. you got to start mm-hmm. thinking like the, the pig that you're capturing try to modify their behavior, and, and that's the way you're successful with these kind of traps. And that, that goes for any type of trap system. Sure, sure. Now, in addition to just the physical trap itself, it th- this is done from a distance, and you can monitor. Uh, they need to have lights, I think, uh, because it's all done after dark, and uh, that's when they're going to want to enter that trap, uh, you know, access the food source. They are rather nocturnal critters. Now they're moving during the daytime, but as I understand it, most of the trapping is done overnight. And so you have to hire someone, don't you, to uh, monitor uh, the video signal, if you will, from a distance on that cell phone. And then uh, who's willing to, to deal with that. And so it takes a special person to, that you have to hire, right? Well, you can do it yourself. I mean, there's lots of information that we can, and Cooperative Extension Service can help you with to show how you can do it yourself. And, you know, at first it is really, really exciting when you're sitting there and you're watching them on your phone and you see them go in and you click that trigger, but it, it that, that wears off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I bet you can imagine that, Ken. After you've been up, you know, several nights watching these animals and, 
And so a lot of people do choose to hire somebody. And there's a number of different services that are available, not only uh, for the trapping service. I've heard there's been some that have been successful at using uh, night vision and, and thermal uh, thermal tactics, you know, just all kinds of things that can be done. And the trick, of course, is to make sure that you don't educate those pigs, that you that they don't know uh, who's coming, where they're coming from, that you keep them. Uh, such that they are not going to learn to avoid traps or learn to avoid people or learn to avoid a specific um, instance. There's some pigs that actually have learned to avoid corn, for example, because that's a, a common bait that's used. So it's it's just a matter of trying to keep ahead of them, and sometimes hiring somebody is, is a good option. Well, they have to be willing to work late into the wee hours, I think, to uh, to deal with it, and so when they know they have a and explain what a sounder is. You use that term, and I learned that a few years yeah. ago. But uh, you have a sounder in the trap, and you want to wait until you do, right? You do. A sounder is a sow and her her uh, her piglets, and sometimes it's several generations, and they tend to hang together. There's also the on the opposite end, you have that boar, and he's just coming by singly. And you know, to put up an entire trap system to catch a boar might not be the most efficient approach. And so we try to match the type of system that you're using with the with the animal itself. There's also bachelor groups, which are these uh, these younger uh, boars, if you will, that do hang together and they do travel quite a bit. And so uh, we've tried to trap them, for example, at the Southwest um, Livestock and, and Forestry Station, and we haven't had very good luck because they're just so mobile. And and so you do have to try to adapt your your system to what uh, kind of uh, circumstance you have. And, and the utmost uh, pig biologist uh, in the country, in my opinion, Jack Mayer, he's identified 11 different kinds of groups of hogs, if you can believe that. Wow. Well, uh, that's, that's amazing. Uh, well, let's just talk uh, real briefly then on uh, the success we've had. Becky on uh on this, this is something that uh, has been a problem for a number of years. Are we making any headway on uh, lowering the numbers of uh, feral hogs in Arkansas? You know, that is really a good question. We do have now, as part of the task force and, and with Arkansas Game and Fish and, and some of the our par- other partners, we have what's called the Feral Hog Survey 123 app. And that's something that we're using to try to get that information. We need everybody who is removing hogs uh, to report to that app. Uh, even if you're just seeing hogs, there's the ability for a landowner to get in there and tell us that you're seeing hogs. And about every month, there's a report that comes out that shows county by county the number of hogs that are removed. And this app allows you to either put in your uh, either your exact location, but there's also the ability to put in just a generic uh, pen of your location in a county. Uh, so, you know, you can use uh, that in that way, and then that'll help all of us to figure out how successful are we in this effort as we all unite uh, to remove these feral hogs. Well, they reproduce so quickly. Uh, that's a problem. Uh, and and there are some safe places that they learn about. Like you said, these hogs are very intelligent animals. Uh, they learn where they Extremely. can be protected, I think. And there's some... Uh, WMAs or other places where they are somewhat protected. Uh, so it's difficult to just, I don't know that we'll ever totally eradicate, but if we can just lower the numbers uh, significantly and, and just as we conclude this conversation, talk about the type of damage they do because they're 
doing millions of dollars of damage, and they're in every county in the state now. Oh, that's so true, and they're doing lots of damage to our crops. Uh, one thing that kind of uh, uh, was interesting to us is that there's also a lot of damage to pastures. You know, oftentimes we say, oh, it's a lot of these uh, row crops that are experiencing the damage. But the pasture damage is a little difficult for us to evaluate economically, so we're trying to do a better job at that. Because it's not only just, you know, trying to relevel your pasture, but a lot of people have said they've been breaking their equipment in some of these pastures. Mm, mm. And, you know, there's a number of other damages, too, that we can't hardly put a number on. For example, how do you value uh, wildlife, you know, and the habitat that they've destroyed? How about water quality and, and some of the problems that are occurring there? Um, so, you know, there's just a, a number of different things that they do cause, unfortunately, and, uh, you know, being that they're not a native species, uh, they're competing with our native wildlife. Wow. Well, thank you for your efforts, uh, uh, you know, on the task force and with the Division of Agriculture and all those that you're working with to help private landowners. Uh, I guess as a property owner, I should just be thankful that they haven't crossed across, come across and rutted up my property because I've seen some people that are even in neighborhoods and in rural towns and communities, it, they're not farmers or ranchers. They just had their front yards totally devastated because they travel in packs, they travel in groups, and they can rut up a yard in just a short period of time. So very true. Yeah. Well, listen, Becky, thank you for your time and updating us on where we stand with this. And, you know, we will uh, keep in touch, okay? Thank you so much. All right, we've been talking with Becky McPeak, a professor of wildlife extension for the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. Finally, Keith Sutton talks to Farm Bureau State Affairs Director Jeff Pitchford about what's happening this week at the state legislature. Welcome to AgCast. I'm Keith Sutton with Arkansas Farm Bureau. My guest is Jeff Pitchford, who is Director of Public Affairs and Government Relations here at Farm Bureau. We've... Uh, continued our series of uh, podcast with Jeff uh, telling us what's happening down at the state capitol. And there's always something fun going on. So could you give us another update, Mr. Pitchford? I can, but first let's renegotiate my contract, Keith. We've been uh, doing this for it's so long it's now. It's a while now. Yeah. It's going on uh, several weeks. Yeah, I think we're – the light, we can see the light at the end of the tunnel, and I don't think it's a train. I think it's actually uh, the end of the session. They are talk, talking about the Revenue Stabilization Act. That's the that's the bill. That's the gov, that's the uh, government's bill. Uh, that's the budget bill, and so negotiations are underway. And we hear that uh, there's a possibility of having that on the legislators' desk this Friday. And if that's the case. Then next week will be the last week that they'll be here and they'll wrap it up. That's and kind of the signal every year that we're getting close to the very, very end, right? That's that lady that's at the end of the show that that's sings. Right. Yes, yep. that's her. So uh, we, uh, it's just in time too. We're kind of wrapping up some of the bills that we were really pushing, and uh, really the, since they're talking about money, the tax bills are always here at the end, and we've got two that deal directly with agriculture that our members are going to be interested in. And I, we believe they both have the momentum to get through. They both have come out of the House Revenue Committee, and we believe they're agreed upon bills between the House and the Senate. One of them is Representative David Hillman's bill, House Bill 1314. That's the Water Conservation Credit uh, Program. 
that's already been in place. However, this is expanding uh, by up to about 33% more uh, tax credits that a farmer can do for water conservation. And so um, about a $900,000 revenue hit to the state. So the numbers look good. It's, it's small, but uh, uh, really effective. And they're also increasing the number of years that you have to do this project. Instead of three years, you can go up to five years. So that'd probably be a more incentive for more farmers to to join the program. There is some uh, up to about $10 million right now uh, in the uh, allocated in this program. And, and we haven't reached that near that yet. So there's some room there for farmers to get involved. And, and so that's something that maybe we can push at Farm Bureau to get more farmers involved in that. And another one that came out, it was not something that we had proposed, but we certainly uh, are supportive of its House Bill 1196 by Representative Christensen. It uh, deals with poultry farmers. It would exempt the sales and use tax on water purchases that would be used for poultry operations. Uh, we did just kind of a quick survey. We think that this could be, depending on how many houses, obviously, a farmer, poultry farmer has and how much they're paying in water taxes, either to their municipality that they're getting it from or from some sort of water district that they're getting their water from. Uh, we think that it could be anywhere from 800 to $1,200 a year in savings for poultry farmers who do have to buy their water through something like that and pay taxes. Obviously, if you're on a well, you're not paying, as a poultry farmer, you're not paying any taxes. So um, there wouldn't be savings for those poultry farmers, but the ones that do pay a tax, and that kind of mirrors some of these exemptions that are out there for the cattle industry, dairy, and pork who have this already. So this will help the some of the poultry farmers out there. So we're excited about that one. That got out of committee, and we think it's going to have the, the legs it's needed to uh, to fly down to the other end since oh, it's about that- poultry. That's a good did you see one. what I did there, Keith? I did. I yeah, did. Okay. Good. Uh, that that lightens up this podcast very much. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so I, I think that's kind of the the big things. Uh, we're we're still just monitoring some of the bills that are out there, um, some that we're you know concerned about, and we'll see. But it looks like we're going to try to wrap this thing up. Do uh, we encouraged our listeners last time to get in touch with their legislators about some issues? Do do you hear as you're visiting with our folks down there at the Capitol that that's been happening and our folks are talking like we've asked? Yes, we've had, uh, Keith, uh, I guess our members did so well on the uh, uh, asking for full funding of the meat inspection yes, program. I had, one. I had three legislators to tell me, will you tell your farmers to stop contacting me? And I said, well, that's, that's our job here and that's what we do and yes. it's important. It seems to work. The feedback we're getting from those legislators that will be in the room is that the meat uh, uh, program, the meat inspection program through the Department of Agriculture will be fully funded. Awesome. That's the message we're getting. And so we're going to go with that. We, you know, if, if, a, if a member or someone wants to contact their legislator, even now, uh, that's still a, a good thing. Uh, but but a lot of folks have have contacted their legislators. We're appreciative of that, and um, and it's and uh, their work and contact have, has paid off. Well, uh, that's a big part of what we've been trying to do here to keep everybody informed, so they know what those issues are that that they need to reach out to our legislators on. And apparently, it's working. And uh, 
uh, all the hard work that our team down in uh, public affairs and government relations has put in during this session is paying off. Uh, it's been a, a good session as far as our farmers and ranchers go, uh, uh, how they'll benefit from what's happened, and uh, we appreciate you all very much. Well, thanks, Keith. It's a team effort here at Farm Bureau. Everybody's in uh, helping out the PR and, and the commodity folks and, and everybody, that yes. our, our, our district guys from O&P division here at, uh, uh, at Farm Bureau. So everyone's contributing to this and getting the information out, and, and we appreciate that. When, when we look back, we're going to – you are correct. When we look back, we're going to see a lot of success stories yes, yes. and a lot of good things. Uh, it's just uh, I hope the dust settles and we can get there. Well, hopefully we'll be there soon. We'll keep everybody up to date on what's happening, and uh, you can look to hear from us again probably next week. Okay, Keith. That's all for this week's Arkansas AgCast. Come back next Thursday for more news and views on Arkansas agriculture.